The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Your weekend is not complete without the First Lady of New York Radio. It's the Joan Hamburg Show. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome, everyone, to the Joan Hamburg Show, and we hope you enjoy your Thanksgiving holiday. But before you even ate the last of the leftovers, it's time for Hanukkah and for Christmas and for all the other holidays that are coming along. The city never looked better. The lights are up. The department store windows are great. And the Christmas tree lighting is always one of the big events. So there's so much going on. And we have such good guests. We're going to celebrate one of the new hot television shows with major stars coming in to visit us. I'm going to take you to one of my favorite food stores, which I know you're going to love. This time of year when it's crisp outside, it's a good time to visit places like Schaller and Weber, where you go to the little open window they have next to the retail store, and you can smell and hear the sizzle of the homemade worse. And they serve them on warm pretzel rolls with homemade sauerkraut and mustard, just delicious. And you can take yourself ice skating right back of the public library. And if you've got skates, it's free. But if you don't have skates, it's a good idea to call up and reserve them to rent and then you pay for them, but it's so much fun. It's a great thing to do. And the city is saying absolutely welcome. So we're gonna all celebrate every holiday there is by rejoicing in let's not think of the negative, let's think of the positive, the things that we all have to be thankful for. And it could just be a beautiful day it can be anything, but it's not New Year's and we're not making resolutions, but I know I'm gonna really try to seize the moment and I hope you do too and relish all the good things that are surrounding us that sometimes we forget to look and to rejoice, but hopefully we'll be able to do that, okay? and. I'm thinking of each and every one of you, and we're going to have a great time holding hands and getting us all through the next series of holidays with joy. I'm Joan Hamburg, and lots of shows straight ahead. Stay tuned. The First Lady of New York Radio. This is Joan Eats. If you have never been to the shop I'm going to tell you about, then there's no better time than holidays or pre-holidays. I'm talking about the remnants of what was once a thriving German town, that's what we called it when we were kids, Schaller and Weber. 
1654 Second Avenue, and it's opened Monday through Saturday from 10 to 8 and Sunday, noon to 6. It is the staple on the Upper East Side for German and European food and culture. It is really like a house party every time you go. They have a butcher shop where people line up to get all kinds of stuff. They have the best advent calendars. Everything you can think of is in this store. And then next to it is like a window where they sell their homemade sausage bratwurst on homemade pretzel rolls and sauerkraut and a delicious mustard. I can't resist, and you won't be able to do it either. And they have something quite great. If you're looking for an unusual food gift to send people instead of the usual, and there's nothing wrong with oranges and apples and that stuff, we love it. But Schaller and Weber has a terrific holiday gift box. It's their Christmas box, and it includes their famous marzipan, that wonderful imported German candy, all kinds of mousse. Their mousse de foie gras, it includes things from the Best Cheese Company and walnuts, honey, extra virgin olive oil, all kinds of goodies sent in a commemorative wooden Schaller and Weber crate. They have great gift suggestions. If you're giving a gift to a gourmet or someone who's really into pate, their pate sampler is $58.99. And actually, when Ferdinand Schaller opened the shop in 1937, he was all into the best charcuterie around. And it's happened. They have the best charcuterie. And a thing that most people don't know about, their fried chicken is legendary. It's delicious. So you've got a couple of ways to go. Buy stuff for yourself to eat. Buy it as gifts. Try the pate sampler as a gift. And each pack includes at least six different pates. So Schaller and Weber a treat all the time, and especially over the holidays, 1654 2 2-1-2-8-7-9-3-0-4-7. And make sure you try the little window that opens next door where you can get that homemade, um, whether it's a bratwurst or whatever, with the sauerkraut and that melt-in-your-mouth pretzel roll. It's fun. And it's, it is the remnants of once, which was a thriving a German neighborhood. So enjoy. I'm Jonah Hamburg, and we have much more after this. Taking you behind the curtain, it's the Joan Hamburg Show. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome, everyone, to the Joan Hamburg Show. And you are all lucky because you are going to meet one of the stars of the hottest new TV show. It's the new CBS police drama called East New York. And everyone is talking about it. First of all, it was top secret. You would try to get members of the cast, people who were on the production side, they wouldn't talk about it. But word of mouth was big. And Richard, this is great. You always, Richard Kind is a fabulous actor. He does 
everything. He's a comedian, but as I was telling all you guys, he's very funny, but he's also one of the best actors that we have, and that's everything from TV to Broadway. Even You're only saying this because we're related. I know, but it's okay. It's true. <laughs> Everyone like in the my, family. You're <laughs> like my mom. It, well, she, she was right. I mean, <laughs> you're all the best. My son keeps saying to me, we can't all be that good. You've yeah. got to give us a break. I say, look, you're perfect. What are we going to do? Right. Every mother has the perfect son. It's so we true. all have to be that great. You are, but... I think the audience would love to know you you had a family business and you wanted to be an actor and I forgot you as long as I've really known you you've been performing but was this something you wanted early on I when in 5th or 6th grade I think it was 5th grade I played Fagin in Oliver in the class play it was a nothing play right. and somehow I really liked acting. I don't know whether it was ego. I don't know whether or not I liked being another person. I don't know what it was, but I really, really liked it. And I remember singing the song in this life, One Thing Counts, the song from Oliver, and yeah. being absolutely alone on stage and walking back and forth and just having the audience in the palm of my hand and they were all listening to me that if you want to know, I can name the point when I started to want to be an actor. Now, as you well know, most kids, most Jewish kids from the suburbs are raised to not be an actor or go into athletics or be a rock star. They're born to take over the family business. Right. I had no intention of being an actor. I had a dream, but no real intention. And then I was supposed to go to law school, and my dad's best friend, who lived at, uh, two houses away, we were. it was Sunday afternoon, we're watching football, there was a commercial, or maybe it was halftime, and he said, you should, you've got to try acting for a year. Because wow. when you're 40, you will resent your life, You'll resent your wife. You'll resent your kids. Everybody who prevented you from doing what you dreamed of doing. And I'll admit, I had some talent. Uh, not nearly the talent that I grew into, but I had some talent. I still loved it. I got work. I tried it for a year, and a year turns into two, into four. And now I'm this age. And all of a sudden, and, and I got to admit, I don't think I was, when I look back at it, I don't think I was very good. I think I had energy. I think that I have a certain charisma or a likability. You were funny. And then I just, I, I just became a better actor. You know, you do it enough, you got to become better. But do you think that you went to Northwestern, as I recall? Yes. And which is a great school for performing. But then you went off to Chicago. Yes. And I, I was I, I was a, a pre-law major uh, at uh, at Northwestern. I was supposed to go into law, which my dad said, if you want to come into the business, you got to go to law school, get a dual degree in law and business, because he felt that 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 he would have been a much better businessman if right. he had done that. He was a great salesman, but 
but he always worried about what a, a businessman he was. So he wanted me to do that. And I said I would do it. And so I was pre-law. And then my, my friend said try acting, which really was the, the killer for my father, although my father supported me 110%. But when they say try acting, I mean, we all yeah. know we have actors in the family and not everyone as successful as you. But you, I, when I look back, it didn't seem to take that long. Mad about you, Curb, Spin City. Well, well, okay. You got four years in New York doing off, 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 off Broadway, doing nothing, things. going on tour with a children's theater with a decent play. Uh, but it was, I mean, it was for adults too, but it was Daniel Boone. So I cut my chops. When I was finished those four years in New York, I went to Second City. I was That's... four and a half years there. So all of a sudden, I'm 30, yeah, yeah. 31 years old, mm -hmm. and I go to L.A. And I got work immediately in L.A. I, I booked a series. Then I booked. Carolyn, I, I booked another series. Then I booked Mad About You. Then Wait, I booked you had an agent by this time, right? Well, yes, I have an agent. You know, everybody thinks, "Oh, do you have an agent?" You're okay. Yeah. And an agent just an agent doesn't open doors. An agent shows you where the door is. Mm -hmm. Okay, you got it. Right. You got to go. Everybody, you know the uh, um, like you're quite a well-known figure in show business. People know Joan Hamburg, but your son got to where he is because he was good, because he worked hard, and he made his own opportunities. But you can't say, I, I can't believe that he's where he is today because of you. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Of yeah, course. and it's not an agent. It's not an agent who got it. It's, he got he it. worked hard, showed promise, wrote, got a chance to direct, lived up to his abilities, and is now one of the most successful men in Hollywood. Yeah. Right? Hard to, and, yeah, and it hard wasn't his believe. agent that did it. What? I said it's hard to believe, but you're absolutely right. I know. It wasn't his agent. It was he who worked really hard. And thank God his talent matched up to his ambition. But I always look at, uh, at Amadeus. Salieri tried and tried, had so many... Well, he had a modicum of success, but it was Mozart who was successful. Right. You know, Absolutely you can always say, right. oh, do you have a good agent? Do you have an agent? Agents don't do anything. They, agents show you where the door is. You got to open it. You got to stick your foot in there and say, I'm here. And you did, uh, and it worked. It, I mean, it does work. I, you know, talent will out, uh, but you got to have talent. I don't believe in... Uh, uh, um, oh, what's the word? What's the word? When, when uh, nepotism? I don't believe in nepotism. I don't believe in going to parties and meeting people. Uh, you, you, you I, what I believe is going and doing a play, or making a short film, or doing stuff on YouTube or TikTok or whatever. If you're an actor, look, anybody can become famous on TikTok. Right. All you got to do is be prettier or have a gimmick. But if you really want to be an actor, you got to become good before you become rich and famous. If yeah. That's a really important thing. And if you become rich and famous before you're any good, you'll last maybe three or four years and you better save your money. Hmm. So your first big TV break 
that was just you knowing there was an audition and going for it? My agent sent me up for it, and I went. And I proved to be okay. And it was a show called, see, you'll never believe it, but there's a very funny story. It's called Unsub. And you're going to say, what? And I used to call it Unsub What Unsub. It's Unsub stood for Unknown Subject, (laughs) U-N-S-U-B. This was, you must understand me, you know all the procedurals you see now, SVU or, or, you know, Law and Order, all of those shows? Right. This was the first. This was the first procedural. It was around 1982, 1983, a guy named Stephen Cannell, who was who did the A Team and uh, shows like that, uh, he produced this show. It was very violent, and it was the first procedural. And uh, whenever I see Peter Roth, who just up until this year ran Warner Brothers, he used to run Steve Cannell's company. And whenever I see him, he always holds out his arms and he goes, "We were the first. And it only lasted 10 episodes uh, back in 83. But that was, so you're thinking, 40 years ago, that was the first one, the first procedural. And then other shows came after. Wow. But then tell me about East New York, which is really everyone's talking about. Okay. Now, this is very funny. I have had a long, and uh, I'm in the area code of distinguished career. Not uh-huh. exactly distinguished, but I'm in the area code. I've done some really great movies, and, and I've been lucky to do really good TV shows. This is, um, hope frame so far for me it is, a crown jewel. It is a wonderful, wonderful police drama for our times. It is not a procedural. It's a drama. There's about eight major characters. It's like NYPD Blue for today. And I am playing a cop, and it's not funny. And I'm hoping that when people see the show or see coming attractions, see trailers, they don't think they're going to see it. They're, they're going to think they're funny. seeing a comedy because it's by no means a comedy. It's about a woman of color uh, who becomes the uh, captain of a precinct in the worst neighborhood in New York, which is East New York, which is in Brooklyn. And it's, uh, and everybody says, oh, are you a good cop or a bad cop? There are no bad cops on this show. There are cops who have flaws, but they want their society, they want their community, they want to uphold the law, and they're policemen. And if you ask me a great great, great percentage of policemen want to do just that in the world. But unfortunately, they're not as interesting in the newspaper. What's interesting is the bad cop. That's an interesting thing. Unfortunately, in our show, the cops try and do good. It's the criminals who are bad, and we concentrate on them. So, Richard, I'm talking to Richard Kind, and we're talking about the new CBS drama. In this, you're playing Stan Yanko, who yes. is a, a police captain. Did you have to hang out with the cops to get what's behind it? or I got to say, I, well, first of all, you don't have to do anything like right. that. You can use your imagination. I have not yet hung out with some cops. The woman who plays the lead 
happens to have a boyfriend in New Orleans who indeed is a policeman and the other cops because she was working. Uh, she did a couple of movies uh, in New Orleans, which is where she met him. And so she did ingratiate herself into that community and learned a lot about it. So she's lucky. But when I say uh, uh, advisors, that is, that's to minimize that. Policeman, uh, well, once a woman, uh, one's a former captain uh, of, uh, uh, of, of New York police, and uh, I've talked to them quite a bit. I find out the hierarchy. I find out what the jobs are, and I've I've spent hours talking to them, asking them questions about what is, uh, uh, what what's it like to be a cop? What what, what do you do? I hope sometime, you know, after we finish, after we after the show gets off the ground, maybe I'll ingratiate myself into the community and try and get to ride some night with uh, with some of the cops. It's not what I do on the show. That's what others do. Uh-huh. But my history uh, on the show is that's indeed what I did. But you know, here's an interesting thing. Whenever you ask uh, a cop, what is the most realistic cop show on, on, ever on TV? You know what they say? Why? Take a guess. I can't imagine because we have a lot of good cop shows. Barney Miller. No. I never, ever would have guessed that. Of course not because that's the comment. But they say if you want to know what sort of the life of a policeman is. Go to Barney Miller. Barney Miller. You you sit around. you, You joke. And then when things happen, things happen. We are, you know, it's not always uh, cut to the apartment building where somebody's uh, got somebody hostage or this, that. It's a lot of sitting around or sitting in cars or or keeping the beat or, you know, monitoring your neighborhood uh, where nothing's happening because you're there and nothing's happening. But uh, a police drama shows the bookends of those quiet times. Well, I'm talking to Richard Kind, and Richard is one of the stars of the new CBS drama called East New York. I know when you make a movie, they, you know, part of the process is inviting the random audiences, screening it, and trying to get the audience um, judgment. Do they do that, like with a show like this? It doesn't get picked up unless you do that. So that's uh, part of it. They, they 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 have test groups, and uh, uh, and it was tested. And CBS certainly liked the show. Then when it got good uh, uh, reaction from these test groups, then they pick it up. But you have so many shows that go through that process. Right, and don't we were very it. lucky. Now, from what I understand, we were voted the number one new show, uh, but network show. Uh, uh, on the on the new schedule that, that's coming out, it, Joan. When I tell you, and I am very critical of a lot of the things I do, this is superior. It's superior acting, and I, I will tell you something. The the one of the producers is also a director uh, with quite the great resume that goes back to the Botchko era and uh, uh, stuff like that. His name is Mike Robin. So a lot of times I get asked what I like to direct. After seeing the pilot, I can tell you I never want to direct 
because Mike was so brilliant in fashioning this show to a modern percussive, almost a rap beat that it just moves ahead so much. It's not what I saw at all. I see the 70s and let's say Blue Bloods, which is a very good show of its very type. good. But mm-hmm. this is this moves. It has it's just it's it's uh it's quick cutting. It's of our day. And Joan, you and I were not raised in this type of of uh of entertainment. It just moves differently. I and can't he's wait. just he was brilliant. He was brilliant in the way that, that he cut it. You so know when you, you know when you watch a, a music a, a music video, you know how how it it just moves forward. It's got three right. minutes to move forward and help sell the song. This is fifty minutes of moving forward and telling the story, and it just is always on the balls. That's just how it is. It's so I good. can't wait. But Richard, tell yeah, me, is it right. up and running or it's starting soon? It will premiere October second. Uh-huh. We have just finished our third episode here in town. Uh, either our third or fourth episode. And, uh, you know, it takes a couple, of, especially this show, because it's edited, you know, within an instrument because it, it, it just moves. Uh, but it, it premieres October 2nd, 9 o'clock on, uh, on Sunday nights. Wow. So, I so what, wait. what you'll have is you'll have Sunday afternoon football. Leading oh, into yeah. sixty minutes, leading into the equalizer, and then we come. So, if the game goes longer, it could be nine thirty. Well, it sounds that's really that's great. So, when you get a show like this, yeah. and it's you're taping it as as you go along, do you yeah. do other things too, or you concentrate on this? Well, that's a very good question. That can be answered by my agent. Here's what happens is I I love doing all different types of things, as you well know. Yes. You see me do, you know, I've done I've done an opera at Lincoln Center. I do radio plays. I do live theater. I do musicals. I do dramas. I do, you know, guest spots on different, all different types of shows. I happen to love that. However, when a series presents itself, I am beholden to their schedule. Whether or not I'm available on a certain day, let's say things change. Let's say you're supposed to shoot a scene outside and it's raining. You can't shoot it outside, so they take one of they switch days. I am always loyal to, to my show. job for which I have a contract for. But will I be doing other things? Absolutely. For instance, I'm doing something at the Triad Theater. I think it's, I'm going to tell you when it is. It is on the 19th of September. I'm doing a two-person show. You know Jackie Hoffman, don't you? Yeah, of course. Jackie Hoffman and I are doing a two-person show called Kip and Sylvia. Uh, and uh, it's just a tryout. A great, great, great writer Writ- wrote on Seinfeld, wrote on Cheers. A guy named Tom Leopold mm. wrote this thing. He wrote all the songs. And we're going to try it out on that Monday night at 7 o'clock and at 9 o'clock. You know, it's an hour and 10 minutes. Okay, it's a we'll have it's, to go. Fun. Yeah, if you want to come see it, it's a very limited uh, ticket. Audience, but, yeah, yeah, you see that. And I do all sorts of things. I was on a show called The Other Two, 
I think I'm going to be doing an episode of that later, you know, early next. If I can do Curb, I, I have no idea, but I love I know. Curb. We, loved, we loved you in Curb. Yeah, I love it. Now, I, it's all of whether Larry has written a part for me, but my producers love that show, and they told me, hey, if they wrote a part for you, we'll let you off for the two or three days, and I'll go do Curb. I just Great. love doing everything. I, know. I really and do. You're I, just, good I like it. You know, it, it keeps. And if you do a TV show, it, I'm not going to say it becomes monotonous because it certainly isn't, especially this one, but it's the same character and the same genre, and I know what my part is. So if I can do readings of something else, You're just, happy. you know, a week longer, I'll, I'll do it. Of course, it's such a, it's such a fun thing to tackle other things. Well, it's uh, all you know, great. Yeah, I'm a very lucky, you know what, at my age, with my resume, which is mainly comic, to get this show, an hour mm. cop show, where I don't have to wait for a laugh or try and get a laugh on every That's third so line. Tough. What right. a blessing. What a blessing of so my glad. career. East I'm the luckiest guy in the you're, world. Well, yes. you're also one of the most talented guys in the world, and that certainly does help. By the way, before I let you go, how's your golf? Richard happens to be a great golfer. I used to be a great golfer. Then I had three children, right. and children can ruin your golf game. <laughs> <laughs> because you got to spend time with them and not time on the golf course. I know. The golf so, course is but, very demanding. But I, for, for what I look like, I'm a very good golfer. And I just got new clubs, PXGs. I will, I will, this is like a plug for PXGs. They are as good as they say. PXGs really? are fantastic. Oh, my God. Just even when you're, if you're not that good a golfer, the sweet spot is just huge on their clubs and it's it's just great it's they're wonderful clubs and i am in there uh you know i'm i'm i hope to be playing until 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 you can't okay until i can right all right lots of love and how are you are you good i'm good everything's good and we'll talk soon and you before you do your show with a jackie we'll give it a plug so let me know you got it all right. Okay. And remember, okay, October second, October second, East New York. Okay, so we're ready. Thank hope. you, Richard. Don't, Cousin I love Richard you. Kind. I love, I love you, you so you much. Too. Thank you. We'll talk right. soon. I'm Joan Hamburg. Yeah. That's Richard Kind, a member of the family, but one of the great actors, comedians, and a TV show that everyone is talking about. East New York. Stay tuned. There's lots more ahead. You're listening to ABC. The First Lady of New York Radio, Joan Hamburg. Entertaining and informative. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome to the Joan Hamburg Show and a real treat for you today. Wonderful actor, Andrew Polk, who's probably one of the busiest working actors that I know is doing and has done everything from Broadway to television to you name it. Andrew has done it, and he's now co-starring in a new movie with Anthony Hopkins and Anne Hathaway and Jeremy Strong called Armageddon Time, and it's a really interesting film. It makes you think a lot. It's about a group of kids, 
and how certain things that happen in your life at that time can change the course of your life. This young, well, the young stars are dealing with issues that you don't really think about that sixth graders might be dealing with. And Andrew, in this film, plays a sixth-grade teacher called Mr. Turkeltaub, teaching at a public school in Queens, New York, and it's written and directed by James Gray, and it's his autobiographical story and what it's like growing up in a middle-class Jewish home in Flushing. And I'm sure that if they looked at Flushing today, the heart of Chinese restaurants, they wouldn't realize this was their Flushing. And your character, Andrew, was a teacher who really had an impact upon some of these lives where they didn't forget them even today. So for you, in terms of this film, how did it come about? Your agent called it up or you knew about it, wanted to go for it? Sure. I, well, I, my agent called. I had an audition for it. And I was very excited because it was James Gray, whose work I, I yeah, was a big fan wonderful. of. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, yeah, I somehow tapped into something really uh, very real. Uh, when I auditioned, um, and I'm glad that uh, James Gray and I seemed to be on the same page there, and I was cast, and uh, uh, later learned about that incredible cast that I got to be part of, um, and that's how it came about. And when you, after you read the movie, yeah. now you grew up in California, but right. a friend of yours, an actor too, yeah, actually grew up where this movie took place in Flushing. Yes, I read the script. First of all, the script was clearly brilliant right off the page. You're like, wow, this is uh, this is fantastic and rich and complex. And you don't run across scripts that well-written very often. So it was very clearly a great film on, on paper. And, uh, you know, this is an autobiographical story about James Gray's life, and this teacher was a real person. And uh, so I called my friend Amy Ryan, who's a very dear friend of mine, and uh, I knew she grew up in Queens and near Flushing, and I, I said, look, it says here in the script, uh, PS 173 is where it takes place. By any chance, is that where you went to school? She said, oh, yeah. That's so cool. Anyway, okay, now here's a, shot, here's a shot in the dark, Amy. Uh, you didn't happen to have a teacher named Mr. Turkletaub, did you? And she said, yep, that was my teacher. Oh, my Lord. And then she, she sent me a picture of her. And it with was him. actually fifth, with him with, in fifth grade with an enormous amount of students, class photo, and Mr. Turkletaub standing there looking, you know, a little tense. Right. And um, aggravated. it kind of looked, looked like he was maybe ready to retire. And um, and uh, with the 42 children, including Amy Ryan, and I had subsequently run across a couple other people who had had him as a teacher. So um, it's great, you know, that this was a real person and I got to, you know, dig into that. Right. And to work with James Gray, which is yeah. special, right? James Gray I, I, is so fantastic to work with. And he's such a great filmmaker. I mean, so both of those things put together made it 
a really great experience for me and I know for everyone else. Um, and I think it shows in the film how I think he's really getting the, you know, if I may say, getting the best work out of everyone. Uh, um, he, he's a delight to work with. And what um, brought you many years ago? You grew up in California, I think Berkeley. And that's right. What brought you to New York? Was acting part of your DNA from the time you were a, like, a young kid? It really was part of my DNA. And uh, I, I, had all, I had relatives in New York. Uh, so we would always travel back to New York every year. And my grandparents lived here. My aunt and uncle, you know, everyone was here. And I always loved it. And I thought, even as a kid, I'm like, i got to move here someday. i got to be here. So I went to college on the East Coast. And then I trained in London. And then I got a job right away, luckily, in New York. And, uh, and it, I've been in New York ever since. I, I'm a New Yorker. Yeah, you're a New Yorker. And you're a working New Yorker, too. Yeah. Yes, knock on wood. Yes, it's great. I'm very uh, fortunate. No, and you live here, I mean, which is interesting because so many actors I know have to bite the bullet and go back to L.A., you know, which they're always uh, apologizing for. But <laughs> That's funny. I mean, I spent some time in L.A. It's, 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 you know, it is what it is. It's an inevitable part of our business. So, uh, 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 and I've worked there, but, uh, you know, I love New York and uh, I, I love working in New York even more. Yeah. Well, yeah. It, it is a really special place, but it's interesting too. Now you, how old are your own children? Well, interesting. You should ask that. My children are 11 and eight. So they're and close to what the kids, some of the my kids My daughter are. is exactly the age of the kids I was teaching in the movie. And I think it was pretty there was a sort of a quality of uh, sitting on your last nerve that I, uh, for some reason, was able to tap into for this role um, pretty easily. <laughs> so there's, uh, I didn't have to do too much uh, stretching, you know, and, and, and when you're playing a role where you're trying to teach 42 kids uh-huh. every subject, every subject, including Jen, with no yeah. teacher's aid. It was a time when the movie was during a time. It was like 1980 when there were big budget cuts in the school system. Integration had just sort of happened. And uh, teachers were being asked to do so much. Um, And, uh, yeah, so there was a quality of uh, corralling and and, uh, being with kids that age that felt pretty natural to me. (laughs) But And, you know, it was really interesting because as I'm watching this film, I kept thinking, what happened along the way to James Gray in his head where he had to make this film? And well, I mean, did he look, ever talk about it? That. Yes, he has. I mean, I can, you know, I, uh, always, you know, better talk to him about it. But from what he said, it's really, he was at a place, I think, where he, uh, he well, right after the pandemic or during he was driving around the old neighborhood and he realized there was no, um, there was nothing left of his family um, in his, you know, that to remember, you know, for his kids to understand where he came from, they had almost disappeared and there was really no sign of them. Mm-hmm. And so he, he brought his kids back to the, uh, to Queens, to Flushing to sort of drive around and show them the old neighborhood. And he got the idea of, he want, of wanting to do something super personal and, um, 
I think it had come also on the heels of doing something where he had just done Ad Astra in space with Brad Pitt. And I, he wanted, it felt like an instinct to bring, uh, to write a story very close to home. And that it felt very, even though it was 1980, the issues in the movie felt very, unfortunately, very present uh, right. today. You know, uh, the, uh, the issues of uh, morality, which he felt like in 1980, something changed in this country uh, where we went from the end of the 70s and, the, you, know, the, the, you know, the free speech movement and the, uh, civil rights. And, and we had come, come into, it felt like a watershed moment to him where we went to a more materialistic place and morality, which is a very Jewish kind of theme, you know, what is right, what is wrong, right. very Talmudic. Um, uh, was is going by the wayside, and, and he felt like to tell that story would be really resonant today. And I think he's right. Right, and your character, he really gives a lot of dimension to, as you do too, because I went to public school in what was then a small town, really. But yeah. it, I, I still could, from your character it brought back all the memories of those overburdened teachers trying to deal with (laughs) rambunctious, we don't care kind of kids. Right. Right. There's that element. Yes. And uh, I also, I mean, I remember that when I was that age too, uh, you know, these giant classrooms, the the, the teachers were doing their best, doing their best. And, in the case of my character, you know, not very good. Right. <laughs> well, he was but, definitely a little, um, he singled out, and we're not giving anything away, right? Because he picked on a black kid who apparently right. just rubbed him the wrong way. And right. you you didn't know whether to feel sorry for him, which I varied in my feelings, or to say, hey, what's with you? But right. So right. And I, I think that the, I think, yes. And I think a lot of people have mentioned that to me and, you know, I'll let everyone make their own judgments about uh, what if Mr. Turkletab was, you know, racist or just overworked. But I think I can say that it was, um, uh, it was real and it really happened to James Gray and, um, the people who came to those schools without a safety net, who weren't as protected, you know, were, were different. There was nowhere, no one to catch them. There was no. It, it was almost like they said, "Let's have integration in our schools," and uh, there was no thought about how to do it. Um, there weren't the resources to catch people and see them for where from when they where they were. And I think I think it's kind of important because that's, I think, unfortunately, uh, an issue today. Um, uh, And so um, you can see the two kids, you know, the black kid and the white kid, uh, the Jewish kid, just slowly drift apart and um, go their separate ways. And it's funny, I had the same thing happen to me when I was a kid. In California. Yeah, a very good friend of mine in grade school. Uh, who was black, and you know, you don't even know what happened. You just kind of drifted away, uh-huh. and um, you know what I mean. So it really hit home for me that situation. Right, I'm sure, and you make it very real as the teacher. I, I and the movie 
got a lot of appreciation and did very well. It made the Cannes Film Festival. Was that yeah? Was that thrilling that was for great. you? Must have Such been a thrill. It was a thrill. You know, it was just. Uh, unfortunately, I saw the movie for the first time while I was sitting in the at the that big theater at Cannes, um, and all I could think of was. That's my big face up there at Khan. I'm in Khan. I'm in Khan. So I wasn't really seeing the movie. Um, uh, I didn't, and I saw it again at the New York Film Festival where it premiered. Here. And it did and well there. Great. It was. Uh, and it was a different experience for me because I actually got to see the film and saw it. And could see it and it, not just say I'm in Khan. Uh, yeah, that's all I could think of. I'm in Khan. There's my face. I'm in Khan. Uh, there's my face. And uh, there's a lot of people taking pictures. And the red carpet is even crazier than you think it is there. Now, um, did your family come? I brought my beautiful wife, Zoe, uh-huh. and we, we had a, a, a great time. No, I didn't bring the kids. Uh, maybe, next, maybe, maybe next time yeah. when they're a little older. No, that's right. Um, they'll, they'll appreciate it more. But it still is a thrill. And you, it isn't as if you never work. You work all the time. But this was a different role for you and a departure from yeah. what you always do. I think so, yes. It's a, and then, which is also always great to be, you know, not doing the same thing. Um, and uh, being in a film this, this cohesive and this well done, uh, where it's an ensemble ensemble piece and everyone seems to be really moved by it and talking about it. Right. It's uh, very gratifying to be part of that. I bet. Did your kids ultimately see it? No, no. You know, I am not going to let my eight-year-old see it, but my 11-year-old, I'm going to let her see it. Yeah. Well, um, that should be well, interesting. To yeah, you. right. Yeah, because she's, she's of the age where, you know, it's it's really a movie about, like, being a kid and for the first time seeing the world and having to make really big decisions about what you feel about the world, you know, race uh-huh. and, you know, what's right, what's wrong. And, and that's the age my daughter is. Right. And so. to have to deal with that, you know, you wonder, but it definitely can influence the path of a kid's life. And it makes you think, you know, right. when you have children that age range, that there's a lot going on in those fertile brains and, yeah, you play a big role. That's right, I do, and uh, and uh, I like. I mean, in that, um, you know, it, what really struck me, and I don't want to get too much into it, but the, the scene in the Guggenheim Museum. Yeah, I love that when, he, when your kids are going. He sees he sees a Kandinsky painting, and, and he was definitely you know, a talented artist. The kid in the film, right? But no one saw him. No uh-huh. one could see him. There was not the space or the time or the attention to see this kid. All they could tell was that he was slow. Uh-huh. Um, and that really moved me that, 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 that you really just need one person to notice you mm-hmm. where you are and to change your life. And that, you know, is an issue. And that's a theme in the movie, too. Right. And your character, Mr. Turkeltaub, when you started investigating his life, he did reach the stage when he could retire, but unfortunately, fate played a worse role. He had, uh, as I understand it, I, I asked, he had a heart attack after he retired. Yeah. yeah. Um, which it just added more information uh, to, to my backstory to help sort of understand and get under his skin. 
about, you know, maybe the stress he was under with this job and dealing with all these kids. Uh uh, You know, I kind of did have the idea that in this, at the place that the movie takes place, that he's about to retire and he's, he's sitting on his last nerve, really. (laughs) No, no. You know, I think we all understood it. I'm telling you, we vary between feeling sympathy for this overburdened, stressed out teacher who like, show me a little respect. And the kids had no intent of doing that. (laughs) No. No, and they were great kids, by the way. Uh, oh, they were good actors. Terrific actors, delightful people, open and professional, uh, Jalen and, and Banks. Uh, they were just, uh, you know, just fine actors on their own. Really great. Well, it sounds great. So, Andrew, I'm talking to Andrew Polk, who's a movie you should see. Armageddon Time plays a teacher, and it's all very real. <laughs> Let me ask you, what now that the movie's up and out, what are you up to? Well, I've just been working on uh, a little bit of network television, doing some um, FBI on CBS. Yeah, that's Uh, good. A hot show. A hot show. So I just finished wrapping uh, some of that. And uh, um, I think there's an episode uh, – some of uh, Mrs. Maisel that I did that's going to come out for season yeah. five. And then there are also a couple of movies I did that haven't come out yet. that are about to come out. That's, that's going to be interesting. Um, one is called space oddity directed by Kira Cedric with uh, Kevin Bacon. Oh, that's fun. And uh, uh, another independent movie I did this summer called peas and carrots, which is a really fun movie. And then I also another movie uh, about Sister Cabrini, which I did with uh, John Lithgow and David Morse, um, which hasn't come out yet. So, um, you know, looking forward to that. Looking forward to that stuff too. All right, there's a lot. Uh, and after you finish doing this movie, Armageddon mm-hmm. Time, did I look at your own kids? Is their worlds a lot different from the world of 1980? Yes, yes, they have. Uh, extreme amount of um, privilege uh, compared to the kids portrayed in the movie. Uh-huh. Um, uh, they, they, they have a great school and they uh, get, they are seen for who they are. People are paying attention to them. And it's, uh, it's really, uh, 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 you know, very different than the school portrayed here and both schools, you know, that later he goes to a private school, the one that Donald Trump ended up going to in the movie. Yeah. And um, that school also wasn't great at seeing you for who you were either. Um, maybe a little better, but... Um, but prejudice uh, definitely is part of it. Yes. I think there's so much more in the school my kids go to. Uh, thankfully, so much awareness about uh, diversity and equality. That's a big thing there. And I think they're they're definitely putting their... Uh, you know, not just talking about it, but actually doing it. So um, I'm really happy with that. Well, Um, you did a great job, and it's a very moving film, and it's got a lot of powerful messages, too, which we don't always get to see in a film. And you know what? I think it's funny. I think it's funny, too. I mean, uh, I think some people forget there's some parts that are really funny in the movie. It's not just... uh, No, because the characters we can all relate to, whether it's an 11, 12-year-old boy 
or a yeah. harassed, overworked teacher or parents who are trying to do the best they can do. And they also have limited means. So someone can relate to almost everything in this film. And it makes That's a right. difference. So congratulations. Right. All the best to you, Andrew. And we'll talk Thank again. Thank you, Joan. Always, always nice to talk to you. Enjoyed it. Good luck. I'm okay. Joan Hamburg. Okay. And you're listening to WAVC. That was Andrew Polk. Armageddon Time and much more after this. The First Lady of New York Radio. This is Ask Joan. We've barely finished our Thanksgiving leftovers when the city is filled with Christmas. It actually started before Thanksgiving. But now the bright lights, the wreaths, the department store fantastic window displays are up. Wednesday, November 30th, the tree lighting, the 90th annual lighting ceremony. And if you can't get in, don't worry about it. You can see it live on NBC at 8 o'clock. Now, there are two places that if you haven't been, you want to make this a new tradition. The New York Botanical Gardens and Bryant Park. The Botanical Gardens Holiday Train Show and NYBG Glow 2900 Southern Boulevard in the Bronx is definitely worth doing. NYBG.org, 718-817-8700. The train show actually runs until Monday the 16th, and NYBG Glow is selected evenings through January 14th. Train show is spectacular, and it's been literally one of the big sites that people come to New York City for. Been going on for over 30 years. More than 190 model trains zipping past New York City landmarks that they have created and recreated from natural materials. It's leaves and seeds and twigs and barks and acorns, cinnamon sticks and pine coast scales. Tickets 35 for adults, 20 for children. 12 and under. And if you explore the botanical gardens at dark with the third season of NYBG Glow, you can discover the beauty of this landscape and historic buildings. It's the city's largest outdoor holiday light experience. They have a new display of 60 glowing orbs in the water feature of the natural plant garden, beverages, light fair, they have outdoor bars, and a Bronx Night Market pop-up. Tickets are quite reasonable, and you can get tickets for both the Glow and the Train Show combined. And also, the Holiday Shops at Bryant Park, they're available now, and ice skating. If you bring your own skates, it's free. And then we love the Holiday Shop event. Over 170 artisanal vendors in custom-designed jewel box kiosks local crafts, exquisite gifts, wonderful food, and we love the rink. The ice skating rink is free if you bring your own skates. The best thing to do is book a time to skate. All you have to go to is bryantpark.org. And if you don't have skates, you can book rentals online. And there's a lodge where right around the uh, rink where you can enjoy food and drinks and watch the skaters. So holidays are here. 
Christmas is saying hello, come enjoy the best that the city has to offer. And by the way, we are now coming right up to the three o'clock. So I'm so happy to have you with me. And I hope you loved your Thanksgiving and you're now going to be ready to celebrate Hanukkah and Christmas. Enjoy it all.